CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Wednesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. Glad you've joined us. Looking forward to being with you, as we always are. We set this time aside every weekday afternoon to do this very thing, and that's to answer questions about the Bible from the Bible, look at current events through a biblical perspective, what we hear in church, and even when we read the Bible on our own, come across a question. That's why we like to be here for you. You can call in right now. we got some lines open, toll-free, 88 88 ask csn and uh, you can be part of the program today and it's always a good time to uh, to really get those questions squared away in our minds especially when we witness share our faith we want to be able to give everybody a good answer and so again 88 88 ask csn joining me today special guest featured csn speaker comes on after to every man answer jeff wickwire from Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Hi, and welcome. Hello, Mike. Good to be with you today. Looking forward to, as always, a great show, answering good questions. Yeah, it's always a good time to answer questions and 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 all. You know, we, we've had some, some pretty intense questions over the last few days. We had one concerning um, uh, this, this movement. A lot of people are concerned about, and... Uh, you know, with a little bit of briefing we had beforehand, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more? Now, you're talking about the Global Awakening Network? Yes, uh-huh. And we yeah. had a question yeah. about that yesterday. And um, uh, people uh, identifying themselves as prophet this or something that. And, apostle and, that. Uh, apostle. That's what it was, not prophet, but apostle. Um, yeah. Yeah, your thoughts. Well, uh, looking at their webpage, Global Awakening is a apostolic, what they claim to be an apostolic network, and they encourage uh, pastors and churches and parachurch ministries to uh, become a member of the organization. There is a um, an application fee, and there is a monthly fee to be a part of it. And um, they make available two speakers, only two. I mean, two official speakers from this network will come uh, to your church uh, if you become a member of uh, GAN, Global Awakening Network, and they will, uh, bring apostolic oversight to you and, and so on and so forth. So they are, uh, one organization and there's, there's really several that have become popularized in the last, um, last couple of decades, really even more intensely in the last decade of this whole notion that, um, the apostle position as given in Ephesians 4, and he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, that the apostolic position uh, was lost, just wasn't there for 20 centuries of church existence. And then now God is resurrecting the apostle position and the uh, apostolic ministry uh, to the world. And so you have Organizations like this one and others, known as the uh, New Apostolic Reformation, uh, that's that's another name for a sort of a loose knit group of people that contend that uh, they are apostles, and um, 
that if your local church is really going to be healthy, it will be under some kind of an apostolic covering. And um, then they, of course, will, will come in and, and I guess give direction to your church, um, uh, kind of let you know if you're on the right track. And, uh, you know, it, there's several things about it that um, for me are problematic. Um, I, I don't see this. Well, I'll put it this way, Mike. I, I've been following several apostles since I was saved. And they're named Paul, mm-hmm. Peter, James, John, uh, you know, the New Testament apostles. Because the ministry of the apostle, according to the word of God, was to lay the foundation of the church. Uh, we're, Paul said we are, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets and prophets. He's hearkening back to the Old Testament prophets that predicted the arrival of Christ and uh, the new covenant and uh, that he would uh, establish and so on and so forth. So the, the, the calling on the original 12, and I like to call them capital A apostles, capital A, the ones Jesus called after a night of prayer. Paul came along later as sort of Apostle 13, and he uh, identified himself as being uh, born out of due time. Uh, he, he said, I'm the least of the apostles, but he was certainly uh, one of them because he said, I personally saw Christ, and uh, he was called to be an apostle. He was brought in later. But those apostles were called to lay the foundation of the church. And that's exactly what they did. You read Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You read the Pauline epistles, the Petrine epistles. Uh, you read James. And, and you see that they told us how local church was to function, the various ministries of the local church, uh, the different requirements for church, uh, local church leadership. Uh, Paul mainly was what you might call the architect of the local church. God used him more than any of the others to really clearly explain the infrastructure of the church and uh, so on and so forth. So they did lay the foundation. And so it's laid. If I want to know something about the local church, I just go to the epistles, and they tell me what I need to know about the local church. If I've got a question about eldership, uh, I go to the, the epistles. If I, you know... Uh, whatever it might be, prayer, uh, gatherings, the order that should be observed in local church gatherings, it's all there in the apostolic epistles. So anybody claiming to be an apostle now, I would say is a little a. And what I mean by that is when you look at the meaning of apostle, it just simply means a sent one, as you well know. It's just a, somebody who is sent. So my question is, with organizations like this one, this uh, Global Awakening Network, which claims to be an apostolic network, and you need to, as a local church, be a member and be accountable to them, because that's what their stuff says, uh, that you are accountable to them. They, You are, you, you are now spiritually accountable to their uh, authority. Then I want to know, where does that come from and what does that mean? Because I am accountable to apostles, but it's to the writings of the Bible. I am accountable as a pastor to what the Bible, the Word of God, clearly tells me to do 
as a pastor of a local assembly or as a Christian in general. And so what does it mean I need to be under their, their covering? I, I, that throws me because uh, again, well, it was back, you know, back in the, uh, you know, about 20 years ago, they had the shepherding doctrine that came out of Florida. Yeah. And it's the same thing. You, you couldn't get married without asking uh, your shepherd. You couldn't buy a car Mm -hmm. without asking your shepherd. Go on vacation. Yeah. And, and it really took away the personal relationship with Christ. Because now you yeah. have somebody operating in between you and God for direction rather than the inspiration and the direction of the Holy Spirit. So I'm always leery of anything when I hear this kind of stuff where there's some kind of a hierarchy that is set up. And, and it's interesting, in the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus said, you hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Well, what was the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? Well, Nicole means priesthood over, laity means men. So priesthood over men. And Jesus said he hated it. Why? Because there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus. Not again that we insert a bunch of priests and pastors and bishops and elders between us. Now, are they there for advice, direction? Yeah, I think that's good. But never, ever in any way, shape, or form do we surrender our will to this over uh, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life? So, yeah. well, I'm, I'm really... It, it, the scripture says, not as lording over them, yes. but as being examples to the flock. Well, I'm really glad that you, uh, you helped us uh, clear that up a little bit. Uh, and um, what do you say we go to the phones? We have Victor on the line. Palm Springs, hi, welcome. Hello, uh... Yeah, first I just want to say that uh, hi to all the. Uh, I have a taxi cab ministry in Palm Springs, and I've been doing this for the last ten years. Wow! My question is going to Jeff Whitwire. I was listening to his program yesterday at five thirty, and he mentioned something about Jarius's daughter when he was she was raised from the dead. And our given time, we are also, our body's going to be raised in the grave. And to my understanding, it was that our body is going to go back to the, it's going to, if we're going to get a new body, when we're glorified, our spirit's going to go with Jesus, but then we're, we're going to be glorified, we're going to get a new body. Yep, that's what the Bible says in the moment, twinkling of an mm-hmm. eye. Those yep. that are Christians uh, were transformed, and then those are who are dead first, the Bible says um, the dead rise first, they get their new bodies, their spirits reunited with a new glorious body, a supernatural body that doesn't break down like our old one did. And uh, we're going to need this body as we rule and reign with Christ for that thousand years. Now, again, Jeff, your thoughts it was directed at you. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening to the show, Victor. And uh, if I'm reading it right now, I see something else here. You're mentioning Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes? You mentioned that yesterday on your 530 program, and that caught my ear because there's no word the Bible says that. No. no. Yeah, you you caught it clearly in in mid-sentence because what I was saying is uh, the Western Jesus is so often portrayed in pictures, you know, like a Hollywood uh, actor 
you know, long blonde hair, blue Fabio. eyes, chiseled <laughs> face. Yeah, Fabio. And I was, and I was saying that that's not the real Jesus. That's not what Jesus looked like. Jesus, uh, the Bible says in Isaiah, there's no beauty that we would desire him. He was not a looker. He was not a strikingly handsome individual. Uh, we, we know from reading the gospels that he would disappear into the crowd and, and nobody would know where he went because he apparently, uh, looked very much like a, a typical, uh, Jewish man of, of his time. Uh, so no, I would picture Jesus with, uh, dark brown or black hair, dark eyed, olive complexion. And, um, you know, probably your, your standard Semitic nose. And, uh, he, he, he did not physically stand out like a blonde haired blue eyed Jesus. That's what I was saying. So I think you grabbed it in the middle of a quote. And uh, so I'm glad you called because I would never teach that. And you remember that that, uh, when uh, Judas betrayed Jesus, uh, how do we know? Uh, He was betrayed with a kiss. Uh, You know, he didn't say, I just get the blonde haired, blue eyed one or or, or, get the the one that's glowing. Get the one that's glowing in the dark (laughs) or get the one with the halo. Um, No, uh, they he looked like everybody else. and, And that's why, again, to to for that identification, the betrayal kiss. So, Victor, I hope that helps. Thank you. It does. Well, God bless you, Victor. Stand line if you like. Send you out the movie Jesus. And uh, if there's anything else we can do for you, please always call us back. We're here for you. Let's go to Brian, Dallas, Texas. Hi and welcome. Hey, how are you, sir? Good. How how may we help? Um, just uh, want to let you know I. Listen to me every day when I drive home from work. And uh, Jeff Wickwire, uh, best Jeff, Jeff Wickwire, been following you for years. A very good man. I uh, love both what you do. Thank for you the very Lord. much. Really appreciate it. Um, I just wanted to ask what you all think of where this war with Ukraine is going to go between Russia and Ukraine and how you might think it might eventually end. Boy, it's a hard one to answer because we, we know that financially it is really draining russia uh they th- because of the ongoing and the unrest within the troops of russia right now in fact they have these gulags that these soldiers that don't want to fight are sent off to really be punished um uh because of their unpatriotism um and uh so there's a lot of there's a lot of issues here now we know that Russia's um, continuing to be strapped for cash. And of course, this is why a lot of people believe this could lead into the Ezekiel 38-39 war, because it clearly says there that this Arab coalition of neighbors that come together with the help of Russia, uh, Turkey, Libya, the, the, the Balkan states around the Balkan Sea, all these uh, uh, Muslim countries, uh, to take a spoil. And uh, so we we realize that th- this uh, is something that uh, could be that part of an allurement. The other part of it is, of course, uh, Russia's tolerance of the West and especially the United States continuing to supply money and arms uh, to the Ukraine. Uh, they just announced that they're uh, basically, I, I've read a couple of stories where they're preparing for like a nuclear war. Now, there may be a reason why the United States doesn't come 
to Israel's aid, it's it may, we may be so uh, under attack or dysfunctional or civil war, who knows what we're going to be under, um, that we don't come to Israel's aid uh, in this attack. Now, logically, you would look at it, if we're supporting the Ukraine to fight against Russia, we would logically probably want to uh, support Israel in uh, Russia's attack against her. But uh, the Bible says no one comes to Israel's defense. God's fury arises in his face, and he destroys five-sixths of this huge invading army. The cache of weapons and fuel oil and all is so great that they burn uh, the, the, the weapons, the Bible says, for seven years in Ezekiel chapter 39. So I believe the Ezekiel 38-39 war is before the tribulation period, and very very much possible even three or three or three and a half years before the tribulation begins, because uh, the last half of the three and a half years of the tribulation, Israel's going to be on the run and probably not able to burn the weapons. So these are just some things we we look at. Your thoughts? Yeah, and uh, there's no doubt that Putin thought that he would swoop into Ukraine, uh, take them out in a matter of a few weeks, maybe a couple of months, three months, and it would be a swift kill, and he would conquer it, uh, annex it, and, um, you know, that would be it. I think that he has been sitting in stunned disbelief over how this has turned. He never thought that they would offer this much resistance successfully, and drive back the Russian troops over and over again and deal them some very uh, deadly, costly blows. Uh, so there's that. But I have to tell you, when this all started and Russia swooped in on Ukraine with the ferocity they did, the the absolute, um, I'm going to say it, psychopathy. I mean, we're talking about no concern for women, children, uh, for life. For innocent people, uh, they came in, they bombed, they wiped out whole towns without mercy, uh, just like a, like an absolute killing machine. And what struck me is it, 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 at the very least, this attack revealed the character that Ezekiel gives to Gog and Magog. Uh, you know, he, he says after many days, uh, you will come into the land brought back from the sword. Uh, that is gathered out of the mountains of Israel, and uh, you will ascend and come like a storm. Uh, right there, it sounds familiar. This is the way Russia attacks. Uh, you're going to come like a storm. You're going to be like a cloud that covers the land, you and your bands, and, and then all the people with you, this whole confederacy of uh, pro-Islamic um, nations. It will be, a, uh, aside from Russia, a pan-Islamic invasion. This will be uh, the nations that have that have said we're going to take Israel off the map. They they vitriolically hate Israel now. They have dedicated themselves to her destruction. Russia will simply take advantage of this this venom that is in the Islamic nations and use them for her for the purpose they have, which is to take a spoil. But what I'm saying by this is is simply. The way that that Russia has acted has confirmed 
the character sketch that Ezekiel gives to Gog and Magog, which are the land of Russia. There's only one uh, land to the uttermost north, and that's Russia. So uh, he Ezekiel nailed them, you know, again, giving us a character sketch of their their heartlessness, their ferocity, the way they are totally willing to bomb women and children, take them out, just wipe them out for their own purposes. That's the Gog and Magog that we see uh, coming down against Israel along with these Islamic nations in the last days. So that's just something, just just a little cherry on top of the Sunday here. Uh, that had really, really struck me how Ezekiel nailed their character. And so what we've seen at the very least is sort of a uh, dress rehearsal for what will happen against Israel one day, no doubt sooner than later. So exciting times, and uh, I hope that answers it for you. And God bless you. I think we might have lost you there, but I hope that answered it. And um, God bless you. Again, thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Peter, Sitka, Alaska. Hi, welcome. Hello, and thank you for taking my call. Um, My question is about this one world order um, thing that people are trying to put a stop to, which doesn't make any sense because it's, it's already prophesied that's going to happen. And so I'm not sure. It's almost like when Peter said that nothing was going to happen with him. I mean, to, to Jesus, you know, going to the cross and he said, be, get behind me, Satan. So I just wanted to see what your view is on that. Well, we've got to be careful, Peter. We don't enter into what's called fatalism. And uh, this is where, well, since um, uh, since it's it's all going to fry, spit, and sizzle, don't do anything. Um, we, we have to continue to do what we can do as long as we can do it. And I believe that, again, when you have these, these hostile forces within the United States and within our Congress against the United States to destroy it, uh, as much as we have uh, external enemies— um, and again, by the way, that's why our forefathers gave us the Second Amendment, because they realized the tyrannical governments, how they work. They work without, and they also work within to overthrow uh, and bring people back under tyranny again. So I believe that we want to be those people that are the salt and light. Uh, Jesus said, if the salt loses its savor, what good is it? If we're not a stabilizing force or a preserving force against one world orders and tyrannical communist takeovers of our of our nation, as we're seeing right now almost daily, I, I really believe that that we're not really fulfilling what Jesus said is to be salt and light. In other words, well, since it's all going to fry, spit and sizzle, don't say anything about what's right or wrong. Well, we can't do that. Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, I agree. Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, you are. He identified us. He he defined us. He said, let me tell you who you are. You are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. So you don't light a candle, put it under a table, but you put it on top of the table so that it lights up the whole house. The same thing with salt. Uh, you don't just let it sit there, but you salt the meat with it so that the meat doesn't decay which I believe was Jesus' main uh, gist with that particular part of his teaching when he talked about the salt. 
Uh, he's not talking about something that tastes good. He's talking about, uh, salt that was used to help meat from decaying. You know, they had no refrigerators. They had no, uh, ice coolers. They had none of that. When they, uh, you know, say killed a deer, they had to salt it immediately so that it didn't decay. And that was the meaning of salt. So Jesus is saying, you as my church, as my followers, I have put on the earth to stop the decay of corruption. I want you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use you to hold back the decay. In other words, the, the church rightly functioning is a, uh, restraining influence. So the, the Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit is a restrainer of evil. And as his children uh, occupied by the Holy Spirit, we are also to be a restrainer of evil. And that's what the salt means. So to be quiet, to be silent, to just sit there and let things happen, uh, is, is bad teaching. That's, as Mike said, that's fatalism. That's, that's where you think of Calvinism. And, you know, if you're chosen to be saved, well, you're going to be saved irresistibly. If you're not chosen to be saved, you can't be saved. So why in the world even preach? Because it's a done deal and it creates a fatalism. So we don't want to walk in fatalism. We want to be, Jesus said, occupy until I come. And so that's what we want to do. And we occupy by being salt that restrains corruption and light that exposes dark stuff. Hope that helps. Amen. And thank you so much. I mean, yeah, that puts a whole different light on what I was thinking. And it's like, um, go down standing up, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, absolutely. absolutely. We're, we're, you know, um, we're not, we're not raising the white flag for sure. And uh, again, uh, to tell people the truth, what's going on, I believe about true faith, what's going on, everything around us, because the more, I believe, the more we get closer to the rapture of the church, I believe the more we get closer to the tribulation period, the more the devil's lies will be perpetrated in our society. Um, and and not only do we see the lies, but we see the hypocrisy uh, that that the elitists don't want you to drive a car, but they can fly their jets all over the world condemning everybody who drives a car. I mean, this is insanity. But They don't want you to have a gun they while they're want, surrounded by bodyguards. But while they're <laughs> surrounded by bodyguards. This is exactly what we're saying. So there has to be the voice of truth. There has to be the voice of reason. And there has to be that message of salvation that must go out while we have time. We're coming up on a break, everyone. We don't want you to go away. and We'll be back for more right after this. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan, double MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes 
Very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. Are you ready to study to show yourself approved? A workman not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth? In this sad, lonely, and lost generation, people need help. They need Jesus. And who can present the gospel better than you? Calvary Chapel University wants to be a helper of your joy so you can go out and make disciples who make disciples. Go to calvarychapeluniversity.edu and apply today and you'll earn outstanding scholarships. Most of our CCU graduates graduate early or on time, debt-free and sound doctrinally. Go to calvarychapeluniversity.edu and apply today. Skip Heitzig is one of our faculty members, and David Guzik is not only a board member, but he just earned his Master of Divinity at CCU. Go to calvarychapeluniversity.edu and apply today and watch God move powerfully in your life. Welcome you back to part two of Trevor Men and Answer here on this Wednesday afternoon with Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm your host, Mike Kessler in Twin Falls, Idaho, and we're going to go right back to the phones. We had Peter on the line. Peter, I hope that that uh, answered it for you. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It really opened my eyes to, yeah, because that's what I do is I stand up. I mean, if I see something going wrong, I was like, hey, that's not right. Don't don't do that. And being six feet tall and two hundred thirty pounds definitely helps me. <laughs> yeah, it, that, that that's a formidable um, um, uh, deterrent. So, Peter, great. We'll stay on the line. We'll send you out the movie Jesus and a little book called Time to Grow. I think you'll enjoy those. And with that, we'll go to Melinda. I believe it is Meridian, Idaho. Hi, welcome. Hi, how are you doing? Good. How may we help? Um, I was curious about the thousand-year reign, and we get our new bodies. Are our children still our children? Are our family still our family? You know, how how do we come back? And just kind of a general question about that. Well, the Bible says we'll be known as we're known. That's good news. Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, in the millennium, it, it's uh, here's the thing. There will be two kinds of people in the millennium. There will be those who were uh, taken up to meet Christ in the air in the rapture. And when that happens, they're, they instantly receive uh, bodies like Jesus' resurrected body. Uh, it says he's the first fruits. First uh, Corinthians 15, Paul said he's the first fruits or first fruits of many to come. So when Jesus resurrected, he was the first resurrection under the new covenant. And he's the first with many to follow. And that means us. So when he returns in the second advent to stop the war of Armageddon and to judge the nations, the church comes back with them. Uh, the Bible says the Lord thy God shall come and ten thousands of his saints with him. So we return with Christ. Now, we enter the millennium after he judges the nations and we have the glorified bodies that will never die. That's one kind of person that will be in the millennium. The second kind will be those that survive the Great Tribulation. The Tribulation saints, those that are believers, 
uh, that are there when Christ returns in the second advent. And uh, they have believed on him. Uh, they are the sheep. You know, it says he separates the sheep from the goats. Uh, the goats are sent into everlasting flames and the sheep are sent into uh, everlasting life and uh, eternal life and whatnot. So it's the sheep that enter the millennium. Now you have to keep in mind, they don't have the glorified bodies yet that those that were raptured do. So they reproduce, they marry, they reproduce children. Those children have children. And the Bible describes uh, their life this way. Uh, Isaiah 65, 20, Isaiah talking about the millennium. There will be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that has not filled his days. For the child will die a hundred years old. So it's, catch that. A child is considered uh, young that dies at a hundred years old in the millennium. And the sinner being a hundred years old shall be a curse. So even sinners will live long. Now, people will die during the millennium, but they will have lifespans like the patriarchs and, uh, and, uh, those that were before them, you know, all the way back to Adam and, uh, the original, uh, inhabitants of the earth before the flood. They lived to 700, 800, 900 years old. That kind of lifespan returns in the millennium, but they will uh, also die. When they do, then those are the ones who are in the book of life. If they die in faith, if they die believing in Christ, this is kind of a complex issue, but if they die believing in Christ, when the great white throne judgment comes, they are in the book of life and they enter into their eternal state. Um, but during the millennium, the children that are born of, of the tribulation saints and their children and their children and their children, there comes a point where there are people on earth during the millennium that don't want to follow Christ. And there is a rebellion at the end of the millennium and that the devil is released from his prison for three and a half years. I don't understand that. I don't know why God would do that. I don't have to understand it. That's just what we're told. And during that three and a half years, a rebellion against Christ and his rule is incited. And a judgment falls on those that didn't follow Christ uh, during that rebellion. So, in a nutshell, if you with your family enter the millennium as believers, then yeah, you'll be with your family. And you will have very, very lengthened lives. You may live long enough uh, for uh, the millennium to end. Uh, don't know that. The Bible doesn't give us a, a particular lifespan for people to live during the millennium, only that it will be very, very long like it was with Adam and so forth. So I don't know if that answers your question or not, Melinda. I hope it helps. You will know your family. You will know people who were believers when Jesus returns in the second advent and separates the sheep from the goats, and you enter into the millennium as sheep. You will know the believers that go in with you, and you will know your family that goes in with you. I fully believe that. Hope that helps. Okay. Yes, thank you very much. Stay online, Melinda, if you like. Send you out uh, Movie Jesus, as well as a little book called Time to Grow. Great, uh, great for sharing your faith. Let's go to Mary in California. Hi, welcome. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I have two questions. One, 
in order to make sacrifices in the new temple, will they need the Ark of the Covenant since they have all the vestments and instruments and the red heifers? I don't believe that would be required. But Jeff, your thoughts? I don't either. I, I don't believe that's mentioned in Revelation. Um, is a matter well, they haven't even found the Ark of the Covenant, don't even know where it is. So unless there was some kind of an incredible discovery at the time of the rebuilding. Now, if they found it but as the temple was being rebuilt or something, then I would start to wonder, well, maybe. Uh, but as far as I know, the book of Revelation is silent on that particular uh, question. Not going to say it couldn't be. Again, if they found it, if they were to discover the Ark of the Covenant, wouldn't that be amazing? Would not that be an incredible archaeological find? But they haven't. So unless that happens, I don't think it's a requirement, Mary. I, I don't see that. And and uh, if they did find it, all the more that would expedite the need for a temple for them to put it in. So, mm-hmm. but uh, I I do believe that the animal sacrifices could be without the ark, uh, at least from my perception of it. Uh, and so I hope that answers it for you. Yeah, I have one more question. Is China the 200 million man army? I believe it is. Uh, in fact, they announced several years ago that they had a start, standing army that could be recruited of 200 million, mm-hmm. matching the exact number in the Bible. So, uh, and in fact, just uh, uh, just a few caveats here. Um, when the book of Revelation was written, um, uh, I don't know if there was 200 million people on earth let alone a standing army that comes from the East to do war with the other armies. So when you recognize this, and what it's it's interesting, it says that they come, uh, the kings of the East. Well, Mm -hmm. the original language, if you look in the original Greek, it says literally the kings from the land of the rising sun. And uh, it is interesting to me that that um, that was once their flag um, was the sun. Uh, so, uh, just any last thoughts, Jeff? No, I, I, I. Uh, it is the kings of the east. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And um, it, it is amazing that John, John, in the Revelation, he wrote so many things that were impossible in in the day that he wrote them in. He he predicted the arrival of mass media, because when, for instance, John shows uh, that the two witnesses in the book of Revelation, that when they rise from the dead in the streets of Jerusalem, the whole world sees it. Well, that would have been impossible in John's day. The whole world couldn't see anything all at once in real time. But John predicted, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that the whole world would see this, so he was predicting along with that one prediction, the arrival of mass media, you know, networks and the ability for the whole world to watch something all at the same time in real time. It's just amazing. So as Mike said, the 200 million, I don't think there were 200 million on earth in John's time. And yet he, he writes this. So it's just another evidence of the supernatural, amazing, um, Bible. Uh, you know, that it, it contains these prophecies that if they don't come to pass, the whole thing is immediately dismissed and thrown in the trash bin. But all of these prophecies, so many of them 
have come to pass exactly like it said, even though they were impossible when they were spoken, like a virgin conceiving. Think about that. But it happened. So it's amazing, Mike. Amen. Hope that helps. Right. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. You're Mar- taking my call. Well, Mary, uh, if you like, stay on the line. Send you out the movie Jesus DVD as well as uh, Time to Grow. Nice little booklet, uh, great for sharing your faith. Let's go to Greg, St. George, Utah. Hi, welcome. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I I have lived a life in the LDS Church. Uh, five years ago, I uh, made friends with the pastor and has since uh, become a Christian and been born again in my life. Wonderful. So I have kind of a I have a comparison um, question in the LDS faith. Uh, there's the doctrine of exaltation, where uh, as a member of that church, you would uh, go to the temple, make covenants uh, to receive the fullness of the Father through the covenants, and ha- and live by a celestial law by doing that uh, to uh, to be blessed in God's fullness. Now, um, the word law, the celestial law, is kind of an interesting thing to me. When I look at uh, what Christ did to fulfill the law by being the the final sacrifice and king of kings and so forth and paid the penalty, I understand now that we are saved by faith and rely upon the, the, the mercies and grace of God uh, to have salvation and receive eternal life. Now, in 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 see I believe it's First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen. It talks about celestial glory uh, with the resurrection with the resurrection of the body, um, which is kind of an outcome of what we may receive or may be bestowed upon us. In some ways, my question now for in the life of a believer, how should we then view obedience? I know that we've been commanded or a now told by God to love God, to love our neighbor, and to keep his commandments. Mm-hmm. So how does this play into the life of a believer? We had this indwelling spirit. So where, with with the outcome of obedience, there's there's kind of a different approach to how we live our lives. Is, is being focused on eternal blessings after this life, a part of that believer's life in this conversation, or are we just motivated differently by obedience? Well, I think we're really motivated by love. And and again, um, it, it's not by works of righteousness, lest any man would boast. And this is where I think the problems come in, because we begin to say, well, look, look at what I'm doing. Look, look at me. Uh, it isn't. It's what Christ does through us. No longer I live, Paul said, but Christ who lives within me. Your thoughts? Yeah, in Mormon doctrine, the celestial law is the highest form of the two great commandments, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you will note, uh, Greg, that they're requiring you to go jump through several hoops to reach a certain place in the Mormon hierarchy of blessing and to reach this place of celestial law. And um it, it's a very... Mormon doctrine is very, very works-centered. You jump through this hoop, you get this. You jump through that hoop, you get that. And uh, so it's it's really sort of climbing the, the ladder of Mormon requirements to reach certain levels of blessing and so on and so forth, which is totally contrary to Christian teaching and doctrine and belief. Um, it's important to remember 
there were three kinds of law in the Old Testament, civil, ceremonial, and moral. Uh, the children of Israel lived under those three. The, the civil law was just their law like, uh, you know, the speed limit on our highways. That's a civil law. The civil law given through Moses was just what they were to live under as a nation while they existed that way. Ceremonial law was simply, you know, the feasts and and uh, all of these different things that they were to uh, obey, and, you know, the Feast of Weeks, Feast of Tabernacles, these different things. These were ceremonial laws. Those completely went away with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. The only part of the law that transferred into the New Covenant was the moral law because the New Testament upholds the moral law. Even though we have the Spirit of God within us that helps us to rise above the pull of our flesh and helps us and strengthens us to not live in sin, uh, it also strengthens us to not to not break, let's say, the, the commandment, thou shalt not steal. So you have within you the Holy Spirit strengthening you and the Word of God speaking to you so that you won't go there. But the moral law is still intact. You're not to go kill somebody. You're not to steal. You're not to commit adultery, and so on and so forth. So uh, that's the way it figures into the New Covenant. You know, you come to Romans 7 and Romans 8. Paul is very clear in Romans 8 that the Spirit of God is given to us to help us to not break God's law. However, that doesn't save us or not or make us lose our salvation. Uh, he strengthens us to say no to sin and to live a godly life, a, a life we could never live without the Holy Spirit. But it is not the way we get into heaven. It's not a meritocracy. We don't have to earn heaven. It is given to us. It is a gift from God by faith, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and his shed blood. But the moral law is something that every culture should be built on because that's where our very best laws come from. And, and that's where it fits into the new covenant. But again, I don't have to jump through those hoops to be saved. The blood of Jesus saves me. And uh, that's the difference in Mormon doctrine and, and true Christian doctrine. Thank God I'm saved through the blood of Jesus who paid the price for me and perfectly fulfilled the law. He never sinned. He never transgressed, not one time. And that righteousness is imputed to me. And that's how I get into heaven. And Amen. I, and I hope that clears up a little bit, Greg. Greg, does that help? It, it's blessed my life so much uh, to have the truth uh, be revealed more. And God has, you know, found me and drawn me to him. So thank you. That's an excellent explanation. And it's right in alignment with my experience as well. So thank you. Thanks for all you do. Greg, stay in line. I want to send you out three little booklets on Mormonism. I think they'll be instrumental, especially uh, being in Utah um, uh, for uh, sharing faith with uh, our LDS friends. Uh, and um, uh, also the uh, movie Jesus, as well as uh, uh, Time to Grow, which is a really great little new believers type of handbook. And if you need more, just let us know. So stay on the line. We'll get those out to you. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. God bless you, Greg. Great to, great to, uh, um, be, uh, be, uh, once again, not trying to earn 
your right to be a child of God, that you are a child of God through Jesus Christ, whereby Paul says, we cry, Abba, Father, we cry, Daddy. So good. Stay on line, we'll get you taken care of. Let's go to Jane, California. Hi, welcome. Hello? Hi, Jane. How can we help? Uh, I, like, I was just curious about a question. Okay. Um, so, I was wondering, which name, which name of Christ is, like, the most powerful name? Is there any more powerful name than the other? Or, like, like, some people use Yeshua, Yahashai. Is they are they all the same powerful name? I believe they are. Your thoughts? Yeah, uh, Jesus. Well, Paul said there's no other name given among men whereby. Well, Peter said this at the at Pentecost. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Paul said there's no uh, other name, no higher name than the name of Jesus, and to His name every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess and that he is Lord. Uh, in the Old Testament, Jesus uh, is Yeshua, and transliterated, that just means Joshua, but it's the, it's the same meaning. It's a Savior. In uh, the New Testament Greek, it's Jesus, because there's no J in Greek. So it's, it's uh, pronounced out Jesus. Uh, it's the same thing. It means Savior. You, you shall call, you know, the angel told, uh, uh, Joseph and Mary, you will call his name Jesus, Jesus in the Greek, for he shall save his people from their sins. So it means savior. And, you know, Paul was always combining Jesus Christos, Christos Jesus, uh, simply meaning Christ or Jesus, the savior and Messiah, because Christos means Messiah. Anointed one, Messiah, and Jesus meant, uh, the Savior. He will save us from our sins. So when it comes right down to it, even though God has, uh, He has identified Himself, particularly in the Old Testament, with at least eight or more different names, you know, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Rophi, my healer, Jehovah Nissi, my banner, uh, Jehovah Rohi, my shepherd, uh, the eight different names God identified himself, uh, with, and all of them tell us something about him. But everything in the Bible was pointing down the tunnel of time to the arrival of Christ, Christos. And when Jesus arrived, no, there's no greater name. Uh, in Jesus is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Uh, he literally uh, he literally is the fullness of the Godhead, uh, second member of the Godhead. He's very God. And uh, so the name Jesus, I would think there's no more powerful name. And remember, he said, in my name, that name, Jesus, you will cast out devils. And so even the demons are terrified of the name Jesus, Jesus in English. So, yeah, I think uh, that's probably true, Jane. I think there is no more powerful name. Hope that helps. Yeah. Um, also, uh, sorry, I have one more question. Um, so when the angel told Mary, like, to call him Jesus, but in, this, uh, in Isaiah it says that 
took, took that he would be called Emmanuel. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, is that talking about in future times? Or I'm not sure. Well, it's the same person. Yes, Jeff, your thoughts. Yeah, just God with us, you know, which is very, very important for every Christian to really have a firm grip on. You know, Mike, here's an amazing thing. Uh, the more Christians are polled by people like Barna, who polls Christians throughout the United States on what they believe about Jesus, it's kind of alarming. I'm not laughing at it. I'm, it's, it's, I'm just saying it, it startles me what Christians say about Jesus things they don't understand about him. Uh, a lot of them believe he was created, that he, they don't have any understanding of the fact that he was God. Emmanuel tells us God with us. Uh, so, uh, you know, theos, literally God. So what does that mean? Well, from everlasting to everlasting, Jesus never, uh, came to be. He, he was never created. He was never not there one minute and then behold, here he is the next minute. He's right there, God the Son. And the way that Isaiah describes God is from everlasting backwards to everlasting forward. He is God, and that's Christ. He never came to be. So that name, Emmanuel, is very important, and that's just another descriptive of Jesus, something we need to understand about him. that He was not just a nice guy walking around in the first century wearing sandals and long hair and saying neat things and doing good things for people. That was not, this was, when Jesus looked at you, God was looking at you. God inhabited human form, a human body. But uh, very important, Jane. And uh, so, yes, he's Jesus, our Savior, but what does that mean? Well, he's also Emmanuel. It's another descriptive. He's God with us. So I hope that helps here. No, it really does. Thank you. Well, Jane, stay on the line if you like. Send you out a movie, Jesus, a little book called Time to Grow, and um, I think you'll enjoy that. So stay on the line. We'll get you taken care of. Let's go to Tara, Baker, Oregon. Hi, welcome. An answered prayer report for you. Good. Um, We've only got 30 seconds. Tara, please tell us. Okay. My sister lost her son and went to see a psychic in December of last year to find Mm. out where he is in the spirit world. And the psychic wasn't able to get any kind of a read on her and was explained that maybe he had passed too recently for that to happen. So she went back again just recently, and the same psychic was unable to read her again. And both times I had prayed for her to not, for the psychic to block, be blocked from... And it worked. And it worked. Wonderful. Tara, that's really good news. And uh, again, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And again... Uh, I think that's so important. The Bible forbids trying to contact the dead. Hey, we're all out of time. Tara, stay in line. We'll get you taken care of. Thanks, Jeff, for being on. God bless you. Good night. This ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. 
The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 